here in this great country of the United States of America, we refer to ourselves as the land of the free. We love our freedom. We are so unbelievably thankful for those who have fought in the line of battle to help purchase the freedoms that we enjoy. Not only those who have purchased it, but those who continue to fight to protect it. And this is good. This is a huge blessing of living in such a prosperous country. But the concept of freedom of, in one's personal life can be taken too far. I think we've seen this more throughout the 21st century. A common criticism against Christianity, those who don't believe that Jesus is God, don't believe that the Bible is true, don't believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. The common criticism against Christianity is that it's a straitjacket. It's too constricting. It's too restrictive. Too many rules, too many regulations. Those who are really opposed to the faith for, for reasons of freedom might say, I can never see myself becoming a Christian because then that means I, I can't do what I want with my body. I can't, I can't say whatever I want. I can't, I can't be the person who I want to be. And self-expression has become such a big deal that for many, this seems like a big hurdle towards embracing the Christian faith. But a quick rebuttal towards someone who would say that Christianity is too restricting is this. That criticism fails to see that human beings were created for a purpose. For a purpose from God. Paul states in this passage that all things were created for Christ. So freedom is good. It's a good thing, but to make that the soul of one's identity, to think that's the path to fulfillment, doesn't see that actually, actually no, it's not your purpose, it's, it's the purpose of God who's always been here, and he says that in his word, he's created all people for Christ. And so we ourselves might feel that way too, when we question, what, what is my purpose in life? What am I here for? These are questions that people think about all the time. And in many ways, the, the passage here today, this glorious, wonderful, majestic passage, answers the question that many people today are looking for. This passage teaches we were created for Christ. And because we were created for Christ, Christ must be first in every aspect of our lives. This is what we learn as we journey through the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter. Some people call it epistle. Epistle just means letter. Paul wrote it. Four chapters long. When the church would have received the letter, someone would have read it and everyone would have heard it out loud. And if you look at Paul's letters, a lot of times... He says things that God inspires him to say, yes. 
every word in the Bible is true because God authorized every word of Scripture. But from a human perspective, one of the things that Paul does is address issues in the church. For every one of his letters where there are issues. And most churches had issues that Paul wrote to. And one of the big issues in Colossians was something that was really weird. Where, where people were emphasizing angels, taboos, rituals, do this religious stuff, and God will bless you. God will protect you. Look to the mystical, philosophical rules. Uh, have these dietary restrictions. Then if you do this stuff, you're on the path of obeying God. And so that, the reason why there's so much emphasis on Christ in Colossians is because Paul's saying, no. Get all that stuff out of your mind. Christ is Lord. Christ is God. All things were created for Christ. Don't do those weird religious rituals and taboos and look to angels. Look to Christ. One leading study Bible says this, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the creator of all the dominions, the object of the believer's faith, the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, the unifier and reconciler of all things, the savior through his sufferings on the cross. The treasury of all wisdom and knowledge, the triumphant victor over sin and Satan, the exalted Lord of life and glory, and the true pattern for the Christian life. That's why Christ is everywhere in this book of the Bible. So as we journey through the book of Colossians for the next several weeks, you'll see so much emphasis on this because Paul is correcting the false teaching that's going on in the church. And this passage here today, verses 15 through 23, some of the most famous of the New Testament. Some scholars believe it was a hymn that Paul was quoting from. Some of the most glorious and majestic words about Christ throughout all the New Testament are found here, and it's impossible to impact everything that's here, but what we see in verse 15 is Paul says this, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. First word, he. Throughout just a few verses, he mentioned six times. Him or himself mentioned seven times. He's talking about Christ. He's going out of his way to make sure that Christ is mentioned a lot. He says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. What is God like? Look to Jesus. When Christ left heaven, fully God, always has been fully God and always will be fully God, comes to earth, adds to his divinity, humanity, fully God, fully man, forever. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, biographies of Jesus' life. You want to know what God's like? Look to Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He is the image of the invisible God. That word image there comes from the word icon. It means copy or likeness. He says he is the image, not a image. He says he's the God, not merely one God among options. One road is correct. All the other roads are incorrect. There's one God. What, what Paul is saying here, 
quite plainly is that Jesus is God. When I was in college, some friends called me from back home, and they put me on speakerphone. They said, David, we got a question for you, a theology question. I said, 18 or 19. They said, hey, where in the Bible does it say Jesus is God? It's like, uh, don't you guys, shouldn't you guys know this by now? I think it was my reaction. It wasn't the nicest reaction. But I stumbled there for a second as I was trying to think of a, a, a picture perfect clear, explicit, one verse, one liner. As I've thought about that conversation over the years, I now see an appropriate response to that question is pretty much on every page of the Bible, either explicitly or implicitly. But if you want an explicit verse, 19, he says this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Another reference to the divinity of Christ. Colossians 2, 9, just the next chapter over, Paul says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is not just a prophet, he's not just another good teacher, he's not just a good example. He's not just a protege. He's God. This is the lifeblood of the Christian faith. This is a bedrock teaching. This is foundational. If someone doesn't believe that Jesus is God, they're not saved. This is a very important teaching. And right away, what Paul is doing is addressing these angels and these taboos and all this other stuff. He says, no, no, no. Jesus is God. Believe in him. Look to him. Trust in him. Obey him. He says he's the firstborn of all creation. First, that might mean that he was created, which is not true. That's not what it means. When he says firstborn of all creation, he's just using metaphorical language. Firstborn is just language throughout the scriptures to teach rights and privileges that someone has. And some of those rights and privileges that Christ has, Paul is going to explain in the passage. Namely, everything. Everything was created for him. So Jesus is fully God, but Paul actually goes deeper with every verse here. He's quick to address the false teachings of angels and mystical beings and all the other foolish things that were going on in the church. The, some of the false teachings that he's addressing, but he also says that not only is Christ God, but you were created for him. I saw a quote in a Psychology Today article where the writer says, but even if God exists, and even if he had an intelligent purpose in creating us, no one really knows what this purpose might be, or that is, it is especially meaningful. Here, the Apostle Paul actually addresses that purpose. In verse 16, he says, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here's the line, the punchline. All things were created through him and for him. 
inescapable to read that verse and not see the preeminence of Christ. All things were created by him, through him, for him. Paul says that Jesus is the agent of creation. By that I mean go back to Genesis 1, way back, first book of the Bible. God said, God said, God said. God spoke the world into existence. In some sense, he preached it into existence. God didn't say, let me think of an idea and try to get some technology and put some pieces together and order a part and maybe then I could create something. No, he says it and then it happens. Animals, water, darkness, light, so on and so forth. In that moment, Christ was there. We tend to think Old Testament, Jesus is not there. New Testament, Christmas time, Advent time. Oh, yeah, let's talk about Jesus. He was a baby. Oh, yeah, he comes on the scene then. But actually, what, what Paul is saying, no, 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 think about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal. That means they have no beginning. I was trying to think about that this past week. God has no beginning. No beginning. Nobody created him. No ending. Christ is part of that. So in Genesis 1, when God is speaking the world into existence, Christ is doing that. He's all over the Old Testament. He's all over the New Testament. So the part of the argument here is, is Christ is God. He created all things. And then he uses this language of thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So angels, they had ranking systems for angels. Presidents, kings, all other people of leadership positions. He's head of all of that as well. He's the agent of creation, but also the goal of creation. That, that's why all things exist for him. That's because before Genesis 1, before there was God speaking life into existence, God decided he wanted a people for his own possession. We see that with the Israelites. We see that Peter talks about that in his writings, God decided, I, I want a people, I want to enjoy fellowship with a people. And God knew that there would be sin. Before Genesis 1, Jesus agreed, I will go down, I will die, I will live the perfect life, I will die on the cross, I will rise from the dead, I will make a way for sinful humanity to be right with God. Because of that agreement, Theologians call it the covenant of redemption. Because of that, Christ gets a people. Christ gets everything. All things were created for him. This is not restricting. This is not, oh, he, God is some insecure person who needs someone to praise him to feel better about himself. It's not that. It's this amazing, glorious, wonderful God, who has no beginning, no ending, everywhere at all times, knows all things, all-powerful, is so glorious and wonderful and awesome that by us living for him, we are actually fulfilling the reason why we exist. And only through centering our lives around Christ, through knowing his word, through loving him, through obeying him, can we find any sense of purpose meaning, or true satisfaction in a fallen world. I was talking to a friend of mine who professes faith in Christ. 
concerned about him because he hasn't been at church in a few years. So I had a one of these conversations. Hey, what's going on? I care about your faith. I care about you. You haven't been at church in several years. You used to love to go. You used to read your Bible. You used to pray. What's going on? He gave me his reasons. Okay. Then he gave me a confession. He said, I've been doing so good without God. I'm getting promoted left and right. I'm making more money than I've ever made, he said. I thought, oh no, how am I going to come back? And then he said, but I feel empty. I feel like even though I'm experiencing this success, this success at work, this vocational growth, something feels like it's missing. I don't feel the same. I felt better when I was at church. I felt like I had purpose, meaning, value. Now, a lot less so. I'm more irritable. I'm more anxious. I'm more worldly. I cling to possessions more. So, so God has been gracious to me and blessing me, but I still feel like something's missing. That's, that's kind of what Tom Brady said, a professional quarterback, an NFL quarterback. This was several years ago, but Brady is, some people like him, a lot of people don't like him. Um, married to a supermodel, together they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars, fame. After winning his third Super Bowl ring, he did an interview with 60 Minutes. And the interviewer for 60 Minutes said, with all that money, fame, and accomplishments in his life, we were surprised to hear this from Tom Brady. Tom Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? Reporter says, what's the answer? Brady says, I wish I knew. Paul says the answer is Christ. Believing in Christ. Trusting in Christ. That was why you were created. So regardless of vocational success, although that is a good thing, I want my children to be successful and I want my friends to be successful. That, that's a very good good aim, aspiration, ambition is very good. John Wesley said, make as much money as you can and give away as much money as you can. Money can be a good tool in the, in the service of God. Health, I don't like being sick. I don't like getting bad news from the doctor. I want, I want good health too. All of those aspirations that we have are very good aspirations. But if we look to kids' success and how they turn out, or am I, did I get the job? Did someone else get the job? Am, am, I, am I growing vocationally at the rate that I want to? That, am, am I as far ahead as I thought I would be? If we look to worldly things to give us what only God can give, we will always feel like there's a void, no matter how much possessions and success you accumulate. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it drills this point home with the very first question where it says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We glorify God by obeying Him. We obey God by glorifying Him. We enjoy God by glorifying and obeying Him. They go together. So that this means for us that one of the beauties of the Sunday morning gathering is that 
all the liturgies of social media and advertising and commercials and the sin of the world and the pressures that we feel coming to Sunday kind of feels like it's, it's realigning my heart again to the things of God. It's reminding me that this is my ultimate purpose, to know Christ, to walk with Christ. I exist for Him. So Christ is not only fully God, and we not only exist for Him, but He also sustains the universe. He says this, verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What in the world is Jesus doing right now in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Just hanging out, talking to people. Uh, people talk about this as the priestly, ongoing priestly office of Christ. One of the things that Christ is currently doing is ruling the universe. This is borrowing language from Hebrews 1.3 where the unknown author of Hebrews says this. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, another reference to his divinity. And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So upholds, sustains the universe. Going back to Genesis 1, his, his word is power. He is currently ruling and reigning and sustaining all of creation in such a way that if he withheld his hand for a second, stars, sun, sky, birds, lions, dogs, any animals, any people, any, anything in creation, the reason why it's still functioning the way it's functioning and going the way it is is because Christ himself is sustaining the universe. That's what he says here. kind of easy to believe that Christ sustains the universe, but it's hard to believe that Christ sustains you. Say, do you believe Jesus is God? Yeah. He's in heaven? Yeah. He rules? Yeah. Sun, stars, sky, over everything? Yeah, it's, that's, that's easy. Well, say, how about your life? Do you believe Christ sustains you? gets harder. Feels like almost every week or every month we hear of health issues from someone. Some of you might feel this way. Feel like your health is declining. Retirement money, will it last? Your spouse could be gone. 40, 50 years, 60 years of Friendships only to feel alone all the time. Perhaps you've experienced a recent diagnosis from the doctor that's scaring you. Where is provision going to come from? What if my health fails? What if family and friends won't be here? Part of this passage is believing, not, not that just Christ sustains the universe but also that Christ sustains you that as you walk with him and continue to make him first place 
he will provide for you. It may not be in the way you think. It may not be in your timing. There's no guarantee of longer life or better health. But Christ is faithful to his people. Christ is faithful to those who make him first place. The first place language comes from verse 18, where Paul says the word preeminent. We really not have considered this passage until we've considered that word. Paul says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Body's like a metaphor. Christ sustains the universe, but also his people, the church. That's what he's saying there. And he, and he says this word, preeminent. That in everything, Christ might be preeminent. What does that mean? The NIV says that in everything, he might have the supremacy. The NASB says, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. The original word there for the word preeminent means to hold the highest rank in a group, to be first. We saw this with the previous and ongoing stewardship lesson. John will not be second. That word preeminent means to be first. What, what Paul is saying here is that Christ is God. You can see the, the argument. Christ is God. He created all things. You were created for him. Now make him first. That's what he's saying. He's talking about priority. I read a story this past week about a lady in Texas who passed away in a flood in 1978. The rest of her family escaped on a tree. I don't have all the details, just reading. Somehow her, her family was able to escape. And she was not able to. The rain was coming and coming and coming, flood and water, and she passed away. But later it was revealed that the family was trying to save her. And so much so that people were doing the hand chain thing, like grab my hand, extending. But this lady was notorious for loving her purse. And all the mess that was in her purse, her mess, I said her purse, I didn't say your purse. She really loved, she had all kinds of papers, one of those purses where everything was overflowing. She would walk around and things would fall. And she just loved those papers, it was saying, as I was reading about this. And she could not let go of something she really loved. And later it was revealed that the reason why she did not extend her hand to grab a family member was because she was holding on to her insurance card. Now, I'm not sure if we're supposed to cry or laugh at a story like that. I felt like, oh, I, I, my, my emotions felt really weird about that. Because there's, there's nothing funny about a family member passing away, but, but, but it's so, you think, holding on to health insurance, people are trying to save me, what am I doing? And then I thought, do I do stuff like that? It's easy for others to see the things that we say and do that can be foolish decisions. And if you're a parent, you know, you can see this in the ones that you love, the little ones. But it's, we're, we're a lot less self-aware. And 
if you don't make Christ first place in your life, if Christ isn't the center of your life, it's really easy to drift and fall away. And it's a slow drift. It's not, it's not people don't change overnight. It's a month of missing church, uh, two months of skipping Bible reading, three months of skipping prayer, six months of skipping communion. It's a, it's a slow drift. And over time, we end up, our priorities are out of whack. And we end up doing and saying foolish things. And that sense of void, that sense of emptiness pervades more and more and more. What this is is a call is to go back to your first love if you feel that's you this morning. To believing and trusting in Christ. Thomas Chalmers tells us how. He says this, the only way to dispossess it, your heart, of an old affection is by the explosive power of a new one. Think about iPhone addiction, smartphone addiction. Many of us struggle with it. We wake up in the morning, we check phone, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Before you know, we go to bed at night and we're on our phone for two or three hours. And if you read any articles about how to break up with your phone, they'll say stuff like, take all the social media apps off your phone. Don't check it in the morning. Don't check it at night. Leave it in the bedroom. Don't leave it in the bedroom. Do this, do that. All those tips work, and then they don't. Because addicts always find their fix. It, this is an existential thing. So we, we can take the apps off our phone, which is helpful, but if we really want to, we can just put it right back. Likewise, we can make a quick fix of Bible, prayer, church, do this, do that. It's kind of helpful. But what Chalmers is saying is saying the only way to dispossess it, the heart of an old affection, is by the explosive power of a new one. The only way to break up with your smartphone is to be so fixated on goals or whatever else you have in life that's more important than being on your phone. The only way to make Christ first place is not tips and tricks and do this or do that. They don't work for long term. It's to, be, it's, it's to have the heart transformed so much by the power of the Holy Spirit that what God has done in Christ by sending his son, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, becomes so glorious, so beautiful, so wonderful that you cannot help but love him and worship him and make him first in all aspects of your life. This is an ongoing battle for all of us. We are all a work in progress. We are all on our journey. But part of the reason why Christ, as Paul mentions in this passage, is he's, he's reconciled us to God. Those last two verses, we were under wrath. We were living our own way. We were far from God, but Christ has brought us near. And so Paul ends in these verses. He says, don't shift away from Christ. Keep obeying him. If you've fallen off the bandwagon, so to speak, it's okay Get back on. Look to Christ. He must be first place. He's the reason you exist. Madonna said this. She says, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. 
I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Love the honesty, because all of us can feel those feelings at some point in our life. Paul provides the remedy. He says, look, you you don't have to be a somebody. You don't have to have your name in life. You can be ordinary because Christ was extraordinary. Paul saying only through believing in Christ, making him first place, can we find this sense of purpose that we all desperately long for. I encourage you to look to Christ and to continue in all aspects of your life to seek to make him first. Let's pray. Father, this is a glorious passage as we magnify your son this morning. But it is not an easy passage to apply to our life. It can seem so big and so abstract that we say, are you making Christ first? It's very easy to say yes. So Lord, I pray through your, through your Holy Spirit for those who are your people here today, pray that you reveal to us areas in which we can grow. And I pray that you give us the grace to grow. Lord, we are all sinners. We are, we are all a work in progress. None of us are the Messiah. Only your son Christ is. We need your help, Lord. Our hearts are prone to wander, Lord. We feel it, to leave the God we love. Help us, God. Thank you for this church gathering that we could realign our hearts with the things of God this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.